Hi there, and welcome back to the Creative Endeavor podcast. This is the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. And in this episode, I've got a huge treat for you because I'm catching up with John Coleman, who's one amazing artist based in Arizona in the United States. Now, John specializes in subjects that are Native American, and he does this in portraiture as well as painting and drawing, and he's a master of all of it. Man, I really look up to this guy just for the sheer quality of his work and how much emotion and narrative he packs into every one of his pieces. I also wanted to hear about how he started his artistic journey and hear about some of the things that drive him as an artist and compel him to create this amazing work. In addition to this, I wanted to hear about what he was doing in the face of some of the current challenges that he faces as an artist in regards to the global situation that seems to be changing on a daily basis. Now, before we get stuck into this conversation, this is another one of those interviews that I recorded a little while ago, and I've been sitting on for a little while while things have been going on in the background, and it's now just a pleasure to really get this out there and share this episode with you. So when we're talking about current events, just bear in mind that this is a couple of months old. And as I'm back into the swing of things here in the studio, I'm looking forward to getting these podcasts to you on a bit more of a regular basis. So anyway, that said, without further ado, here's John Coleman in The Creative Endeavor. John, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to The Creative Endeavor. Great. Good to be here with you. There are so many things I want to ask you and so many directions I want to take this conversation. Of course, I want to talk all about your art and hear about your story and, and how you create your fantastic work. But first, if you don't mind, I, I've been asking a few artists this recently because it just happens to be what the world's going through right now, what's on everybody's mind. How are yeah. you guys doing over there in Arizona? How is the lockdown affecting you and, and this current global situation? And what are some of your thoughts going into this? Well, personally, I, I feel a little guilty because it's just too damn easy on me. You know, I mean, I don't, uh, I'm working on a show for uh, November, October, November, 20 new pieces. And so I set aside all my regular shows anyway. And, uh, I just work in my studio every day. Uh, the only thing that I'm missing is my restaurants. I'm used to going out to the restaurant a lot, you know. But other than that, you know, it's it's no, no different. It's great, you know. You know, I'm just like anybody else, you know. I mean, I've got my political views on it and all that stuff, you know. And uh, But I think uh, in terms of having something like this happen in a lifetime, you know, the Spanish flu, uh, what, uh, uh, 1918, uh, it was the last time there was a pandemic like this. So in some ways, it's, uh, it, it has a cleansing effect of the mind. I mean, it's really tough on, on people that have gotten sick, people losing their lives, all this. But, the, but, the, but it's an experience that once you get through it, I think it changes you in terms of your perspective. And I think you, things get a little bit more real. Uh, the minutia becomes less important. Uh, their focus is on things that are bigger and grander. Uh, so to me, that's always the silver lining. Okay, so all that being said, this is a natural, organic part of being alive on the planet. You know, I'm only here for so many years, and uh, 
you know, it's just another experience. Mm. So what do you, what do you, when you say you're, you know, kind of focusing and, and shifting to some of those bigger things, what are some of those things that you, you think about? Like, how does that change your perspective in, in that situation? Oh, well, you know, me personally, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, and I think most artists feel the same way. Uh, uh, when you pass a certain point in your life, you know, I'll say 50, uh, you know, I turned 70 about six months ago. And so that was a benchmark, a psychological benchmark. And um, as I deteriorate on one level, I'm growing on another, you know, so I'm, I am excited about the fact of the growth. I'm a little concerned about the deterioration part. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping my best work is in front of me. Uh, so, you know, how that would might tie into global events like a virus is, is that it's another uh, concept that, that's come to me in my life that uh, that I have to deal with. Mm. Um, I think that's the key, you know, the key to everything, you know, in terms of uh, having really interesting problems in your life. Mm -hmm. Someone once said that every, everybody needs problems. It's just some people's problems are more interesting than others. The goal isn't get rid of your problems. The goal is to get more interesting ones. So the struggle of, of growing and, and getting better. And I think that's everybody has that issue. I mean, that doesn't matter what you do. It's, it, it's just in this day and age with artists, it's a little bit it's a little bit more obvious that growth is the thing that's on their mind, uh, becoming the, uh, a master, so to speak. You know, how, how quickly can you shortcut that 10,000 hours you need in order to really be where you need to be? And will people appreciate what you've got? How, now, you know, how do you get out there and get, get up, get, build that stage and then invite people into your theater, so to speak, you know, so that they give you feedback that makes you feel like you lived? You know that your purpose is 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 mean something. You know, finding meaning to your life. Mm. I, you know, I think so. I, I think that's a ticket, isn't it? I mean, I think for yeah. for so many of us, we're hungry for a sense of purpose and hungry for that sense of direction. And sometimes something yeah. external like this can come yeah. in and just give it to you. Yeah, it, well, it adds a, it adds another perspective. I mean, it it, mm. it really does. And uh, uh, I found in my life that. Uh, Anytime anything that's happened that that's been um, uh, a game changer, I mean, whether it's good or bad, uh, I usually come out the other end feeling like I grew a little bit. You know, the concept of tr uh, 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 trimming a tree, mm -hmm. you're actually cutting limbs off of an of an of a organic plant and it grows stronger. You know, being pruned uh, isn't always a fun thing to do. You know, so they're, they're, everybody's everybody gets into these sorts of things and they understand what we're talking about. Uh, if your life is is uh, you know like you go back to the Middle Ages or the or the Dark Ages, you know they they say that sometimes people would live a whole life without even getting a name. You know they may have only had one change of clothes. They may not have gone more than 20 miles from where they were born. Uh, you know wow. I went back and visited where my my uh, grandparents were buried, and I realized that, that they hadn't ever traveled more than 50 miles from where they were, where they were born. Um, you know the concept of how long the road is opposed opposed to how wide it is. You know, I'm driving home and I'm thinking to myself, hell, I've lived, I live more in a year than they lived in a whole damn lifetime. You see, hmm. well, you know, you take the good with the bad, you know, and uh, you celebrate that stuff and it gives you a perspective on it. And if you're going to bitch about something, uh, you know, if you've lived and you've actually had been pruned a little bit in your life, you know, you get a little more maybe philosophical about it, but you also appreciate what you have. You appreciate what you can do and, and how and what you have to share. You have right. a perspective on that. Hmm.
You know, I, I, I think uh, I think you and my father would have a lot to talk about as well. This sounds exactly oh. like like some of the things he was telling me, um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and he, yeah. he's a wildlife sculptor from and still yeah. still going, you know, and yeah, 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 yeah. And, and like you, I think, I mean, like your work just it blows me away, man. It absolutely blows me away. I'm not just saying that like I, I and, and like you were saying before, you know, you hope that your best works uh in front of you, like, I'm excited to see what you're going to do next. I mean, I, I'm yeah. looking at this. I, I, I feel sorry for the people who are only listening to the audio version of this podcast and cannot see this fantastic background that, oh, that I'm no. looking at here in, in no, your no. in your studio. It's it's unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah, this is actually my house. My studio is up on the hill. Oh, yeah. oh, right. Yeah, 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 awesome. yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. what, let, let me, let me, let, let's dive in. We'll, we'll get off, we'll get off the global crisis. I mean, it, it, but it's always interesting to hear people's perspective about how yeah. they're, right. they're coping yeah. with it, dealing with it and kind of some of the angles that they're approaching this from. And, and I do think by and large that that is, that is helpful for people to hear as many different perspectives as possible oh, there sure. because, of course. well, actually maybe one more thing uh, before we do move on and, and maybe you might like to, to comment on this as well. I'm getting emailed from people from all over the place, uh, you know, where where I'm getting just comments, messages, prayers, all that stuff. Oh, I hope you're okay. I hope you're you're safe. I hope everything's all right. I just feel like going back to them. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate the love, the kindness, the support. I hear exactly where you're coming from, and I don't want to patronize or anything, but I just feel like going, turn off the damn news. Like just yeah. if you can focus on something creative, <laughs> yeah. just yeah, yeah, shift yeah. your yeah. focus. Turn off the news. Yeah. Turn off that fear. Yeah, of course, of course. That's that's the thing. Um, uh, things like this happen. Um, when you consider um, how long uh, people live today, um, that becomes the biggest killer of all: is the fact that we're actually so successful. Uh, we are our own natural disaster. Um, you know, you can go back a couple hundred years. I mean, I would have been dead two hundred years ago. Right. Um, my subject is tribal uh, people, you know, Native Americans. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact that I'm wearing glasses would probably have got me kicked out of the tribe, you know, had I been a, a Comanche or something, you see. So this, the funny thing about it is, is that people, they're concerned, obviously. But you know, the fact that we have so much information mm -hmm. gives us, um, it's like a sense of responsibility just by virtue of the fact that we know the information. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think it's good but yet, you, if you haven't learned how to assimilate it and understand what, what you're doing, when, I, when this thing comes about, I'm making judgment calls, of course. So, you know, I want to see what's political. You know, you know, in this country, you know, we have the two sides. We have the Dems and the Republicans. Yeah. And, and, it, and of course, it becomes political. And they use this as a way to sort things out from, and political posturing, mm -hmm. all right? Um, it, it, during the Depression, uh, FDR had the had the New Deal, and if, and economists have looked at that from the back end and went, you know what? Maybe the country would have been better off if they didn't have it. But but during the time when he was doing this and he had the fireside chats and all, people people um, felt better about it. Mm -hmm. So really, that's what we're doing here is we're 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 having we're, we we have all of this stuff coming at us, and we can take it for what it's worth. But I've always thought of it as a way of taking responsibility. As soon as you know something, when I find, when I hear about somebody that's starving in, in a country in Africa, for instance, I can make a judgment call on that and I can take a responsibility for it or I can forget it. When I was a kid, I never heard those stories. Mm. See, see, my world was like this. Now my world is like this. 
And, and to take your point, you have to be able to be the gatekeeper, though, of what comes in. Yeah. And, and how big you, were, you want your world to be on that moment. You know, it's like the stock market, you know, at my age, you know, I mean, I have a, my retirement is, is in different things. Uh, I got out of the stock market, you know, uh, just in time. And yesterday I went in in a big way, you know, and I, th and I looked at the, what the stock market was doing. Then, oh, well, you know, I mean, now it's down. The, yeah. the, it's all symbolic, though. You see, it all has to do with you. How are you going to deal with your emotions? Mm -hmm. And I think if in go, taking us back to the being an artist, the very product that you're trying to produce and pass off to somebody is your perspective and your point of view. I happen to be uh, interested in, in the romance of things. I mean, but, but at the same time, I don't want to be overly uh, cute about it or anything like that or overly dramatic. And I, like, and I want to have hidden, hidden ideas in my work. I want subtle things in my work. But I feel like you can't do that unless you actually are open to the world and you actually live in the space that everybody else lives in. So you become a filter or a screen for, for where you're at. People that I admire from the past, I can see where they live through their art, right? People that are just making stuff that uh, maybe on the heels of somebody else's work, uh, it's, it just becomes an object. There's no life in it. So you see, so, so in a way it's incumbent upon every artist to actually have a, a point of view and and every stage or decade in their life, they're going to grow and they're going to change. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see that in, in, in the work they produce. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, no, that's that's very interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we all. Yeah, it's 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 just it's just that point of view. It, again, it's that point of focus from which we we create. I, I'm fascinated by artists from um, the past and i mentioned this in previous episodes artists like goya um mm -hmm. who was creating things from yeah. uh, a perspective yeah. during um yeah. uh, the inquisition and yeah. and yeah. and yeah. the the torment and the turmoil of society at yeah. that time yeah. and the horror yeah. that he captured yeah. and some of those yeah. um yeah. some of those uh, paintings i mean they're so powerful they're so emotive and they're gonna live on <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's ironic in a way that uh, he didn't uh, ha he didn't have a he had a style of painting that was a little ahead of its time at that point. It was mm -hmm. simpler than his than his peers, uh, but it gave him it offered that uh, spontaneity that he needed to be able to paint like that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the other part of it, and it's the difference between writing a symphony and maybe a, a quartet. You know what I'm saying? It's a, there's a point where you can just get it down. Uh, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. You know, I'm looking at my work. I, I, I'm, I'm looking for the, for the hook in my work is that little subtle thing that you almost need a, a special pass to get to find it inside the work. You know, yeah. Goya, was, it was like, boom, you know, you walk up to one of his pieces and bang, you know, there, boom, there it is. It just you know, hits and you. That, yeah. it just hits you. And, and that, I think that's, that's very exciting. And I think every artist, as they evolve, they need to find their, their, their heroes and their mentors and, and, choose which path they're going to take you know, I, we're, we're all on different roads yeah yeah i look i i want to i want to do a deep dive here uh john into your into your work because i just again i'm a huge fan i've been looking at your work for many many years i've been aware of you for for many many years um let's let's go back to when you first started 
When did you first realize that you wanted to be an artist, that this was something that you wanted to take on, you know, full time, that this was your life's yeah. mission? Yeah, uh, I think that uh, when I, as I tell you my beginning and how I started, I feel like I'm telling you the story of every artist that started. You know, I mean, we all come from that same place. Uh, I'm a big believer in uh, embracing your insecurity, number one, all right? And, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. The more aware you are, the more you, you realize how deficient you are, right? You, and, and that's a really a, uh, an important thing because it, it, you, it, 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 it makes you want to dig and tr work a little harder. I happen to be dyslexic, as is a lot of artists. Uh, the concept of being dys dyslexic means that uh, there's certain things that I wasn't privy to as a child, and I had to find go-arounds. My go-arounds turned out to be things that actually made me a better artist, which is ironic. You know, thank God I was dyslexic. All right. One of them was is that I um, I I literally um, abandoned school as a child, even though I went every day, but I was the kid in the back of the room drawing and I paid no attention at all to what was going on. Literally, I landed in the eighth grade not knowing what a noun was. I, I literally didn't know what a noun was. I didn't, I didn't had no concept of it, I didn't care. Uh, my parents were like, they just, they couldn't figure out what the hell to do with me, you know? And so, <laughs> so very, very, very typical stuff, you know? And, and, and of course, uh, as you gather, uh, have a reputation as being on one level, I had a, a reputation as being a good artist. On the other, I had the reputation of being a troublemaker. And, and the troublemaker came from hiding the fact that I felt stupid, you see. And see, that's part of that thing, too. But that in itself also is a gift because it, it gives you a sense of, of independence. I had a, very early on, I had a sense of independence that a lot of people didn't have. And my first, my first real gig as an artist, I was about 15 years old. Um, I lived uh, outside of Los Angeles. Uh, it was in the you know, early 60s. Uh, my brother was actually a drug dealer, as a lot of people were drug dealers in those days. And it was different then than it is today. You know, these are all hippies, you know, hate Ashbury and all that kind of stuff. You know, you know, you watch those those old documentaries. You know, the, you know, uh, you know, you know, what I'm talking about, and. One of his big clients was a famous hairstylist in Hollywood. Uh, this guy was, started off as Marilyn Monroe's makeup guy, and then he became very famous, and he was doing all these movie stars and stuff. And uh, he had a column in the Chicago Tribune, a syndicated column. And uh, he needed a, they needed a pencil drawing of his clients. And my brother suggested that he hire me to do these drawings. And I, I like this story also at the time, I didn't really realize, but now I can come back and look at it, that I was a 15-year-old boy in a very predominantly gay uh, in, in cultural environment. And I, I'm thinking to myself, how did I get this job? Well, I, you know, it was pretty obvious. So they hired me, and um, that was my first, wow, I'm getting paid to be an artist. And that brought me into another another thing. You know, not only that, it was a beautiful environment. You know, I was on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. I was right across the street from Whiskey or Go Go. You know, and they had, I'd go out on the sidewalk, and there'd be all these, you know, all these rock and roll folks, you know, walking down the street and stuff. And it was, you know, it was like it was it, it was amazing. You know, it was just really incredible. Um, the downside to it was, though, is is that I started to develop an understanding of the political part of being an artist and. I was offered things that I shouldn't have been offered. Um, uh, at that time, for instance, they did, uh, they had a program where they'd give some of the art center students in Los Angeles um, a, a shot at the uh, cover of Time magazine. 
And I mean, I was, and I was offered some, uh, something along those lines and I, and I couldn't, I wasn't good enough to do that, but I was offered it anyway. And I started to realize that this is kind of a fake environment. It was a kind of a tough deal. And that being, uh, being a good artist wasn't really about who you knew um, and, and how are you going to, how are you, how are you going to evolve from that? And of course, I was so young. I had, at first, I had a lot of ideas about what uh, the grandiose part about this. You know, I mean, I wanted to be Mozart. You know, I wanted, I wanted things to really happen for me. But I realized that that path was going to be all convoluted, and people were going to tell you things that weren't true. You know, and so you learn from from that from that type of thing. But at that time, my home life was was broken. I, my parents weren't uh, getting along very good. My dad wasn't around, you know. So again, it was kind of a com combination of good news and bad news. I got married pretty young. Uh, Sue and I uh, were teenagers when we got married, uh, started a family when we were teenagers. Uh, my father had been an entrepreneur and he taught me through his experiences how to, how to take care of myself. We started a business while we were still uh, teenagers. The business was to make money, had nothing to do with art. I literally went 20 years without doing any art at all. Um, it, you know, I like to think it was kind of like the music man, you know, the, uh, the, uh, they call it the, you know, they call it the think method, you know, where you, you think about it, you know, if you ever see Professor Hill, do you know what the music man is? There's no instruments in you. <laughs> the kids are supposed to just think about it. But the fact is, is that I, it was, it was very interesting in my, when I was 42 years old, um, I retired from my regular businesses and when I picked it back up, I was a much better artist than when I left it. And I thought, you know what? It was because I never really abandoned it. I was, I've always been very, very focused on, on what I was going to be and how I was going to do it. And, uh, um, uh, it was just one of those things. My family uh, was raised. My, my girls were, were married. They, they've been to, they were educated. Um, I was standing there. I had some money in the bank and I thought, what, you know, the day's the day I, I start pick up my art career. Wow. And, and what, what age were you uh, the, when that happened that you well, launched I was 40, out? I was 42 years old. 42. Wow. Okay. I was, four, I was 42. Yeah. Yeah. And I took, I took up sculpture as a practical means of getting my feet wet. Uh, I remember at the time I didn't want to, um, uh, degrade the concept of being an artist. So I didn't want to think of myself as an artist. I'd wanted to be in, in the art world. And I literally thought of sculpture as a way to create an art product, not necessarily a work of art. And I could do additions. Uh, I, you know, I could take the time I needed to pr produce a piece. And uh, literally, it was, uh, uh, took me, uh, it took me uh, 10 more years to get back to my painting. The sculpture took off, and I and I was fulfilled me completely, and then, and then I I was able to bring the painting in, you know, after ten years. Wow. So I'm seventy now, so it's you know it's and it's still rolling like that, you know. I'm I, I can just feel it, you know, as it comes around. It's been really. You know, you're doing amazing sculpture work. And then I look at your your folio and you've got these incredible charcoal drawings, incredible oil paintings. What would you say for you would be like, it seems to be all in one because you do everything exceptionally well. And again, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't mean to just, you know, yeah. butter you up here because you're sitting here in front of me. But but I, I just, again, I'm looking at this, this, this folio just going, 
holy cow, man, like this is incredible stuff. Is there anyone now that's kind of uh, any one thing in terms of like drawing or painting or sculpture that, that is taking the precedent for you? Like, do you, is it, what's the, is there a core love or is it all just intermixed for you? Well, you know, see, the, I, I don't play an instrument, but I, but I, uh, I, I'm more of a, my heroes are more in, in the music world, I think, mm -hmm. um, because I don't, and I keep it at a distance from it so, because it's a little more magical. Um, Rachmaninoff, uh, you know, you know, some of his stuff just, just kills me. I mean, I just, uh, Beethoven, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I just, um, and so it, it's, it, it reminds, it's a little bit like, um, the fact that I've, I've used the Native American culture as a subject. I'm an outsider. And so I'm using their world as a metaphor. So when I'm thinking of art, the music is a metaphor. Um, the hook, that thing where you get chills, where you, you know, you're, you're listening to something and all of a sudden, boom, something happens and instead of falling apart, it just changes and goes in another direction and you just go, holy shit, that is good. Man, that is so, that feels so cool. That to me is what makes me excited. I don't think of it in visual art um, in the same way. Mm -hmm. But I'm constantly trying to find it in visual art. I happen to be, uh, that's my wheelhouse. I'm visual. I can see stuff in my head. But I don't think of it as what I do. It's, that's not, being an artist is, uh, means, is, I, I like to tell people, I remind them, I think of the, 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 the Inuit have like 100 words for snow. You know, snow is such a big part of their life. We have one word for art, and it means a thousand different things. But everybody says, well, I'm an artist. Well, what the hell does that mean? You know, it can mean so many different things. And for me, the fact that I happen to do it visually, um, it, so that is a roundabout way of answering your question, because whether I'm sculpting or painting, I'm using the same uh, um, skill set. Uh, if I'm teaching sculpture, I'll remind people that lost and found lines, as in drawing and, and sculpture, the, the, you want things to be completely organized, and then you and then you want to surprise people. So you so you have to br you break it. You just when you think they know what they're going, you break it. You know if you have a line that's running through something, you break it. You cr uh, you you leave room for them to participate. It's always about their story. See, and that's the beauty of it. You're just the work is just there to set a stage so that they can start bringing in their own. Uh, feelings and understandings about their life. You know, I mean, it's not, wow. has nothing to do with me, you see. And I'm just using that as a, as a skill that I happen to have. My brother could play, was really a good musician. I'm not because my brother was, you see. So when we were growing up, we were opposites, you see. So those are the, so to me, that's the broad set. I mean, if I say it wrong, it sounds cavalier, you know, like, oh, you know, no big deal. I can paint. What the hell? I mean, I can sculpt. Same damn thing. But literally, when I'm thinking in terms of how I'm trying to, to bring these these situations in, composition, of course, is everything. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that I have a style that lends itself to detail uh, creates an interesting problem because detail is the kiss of death. Detail is very hard to deal with, but I have a tendency towards it. So I want to use it as a foil. It's the seasoning on my, on my, on on what I've just cooked, so to speak. And I don't want to ruin it, but 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 it's going to be there. You know, I'm going to season it with my detail, 
and people will look at it and they go, "Wow, it looks just like a photograph." And of course, you know that you know that 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 expression that no artist really wants to hear, but yet. But I'm thinking to myself, in time, they will go deeper. They'll, they will see what I'm trying to do here. Hmm. And, and you mentioned Goya. See, Goya didn't have to go there, you see. He, he was an anomaly in a sea of people that didn't, they didn't, have, they didn't have cameras. So, so you, have, you, know, you have Vermeer, you, know, you have people like that. So there's, being an artist is about being misunderstood anyway. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, and the concept of marketing, you know, falls into that category too, of, of why do you market something? You have to market it because you're misunderstood. You, you have to find a product and you have to find a, a person or, or a group of people that are going to decide they're going to in, store their money, you know, in, in your work as opposed to storing it in the bank or storing it in that car that they, they wanted to buy when they were a kid. Wow. Let, let's let's just bookmark that as a subject. I do want to come back to that because yeah. that is something yeah. that fascinates yeah. me when, whenever we're yeah. talking about art and money and marketing our work. I mean, that yeah. that is a huge subject right there, probably worthy of several hours of conversation. Um, yeah. I, 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 I want to I just circle back to, to something that you were saying earlier um, about using the the native american culture as a metaphor as something that you're exploring as an outsider because most of you you're predominantly sculpting and painting and drawing these subjects and they're just stunning mm. but what what is it that you find so attractive about these stories and situations and people yeah well to begin with um there's a purity, obviously, uh, when you're dealing with an, an, some type of uh, tribal. Um, to begin with, I love history. I mean, the reason I love history is I see it repeating. That sounds like a bumper sticker, of course. You know, yeah, you know, you know, you, you're, you know, you're doomed to repeat it unless you understand it. But I've always, as a kid, even with all my learning issues, uh, I was a good listener, and uh, I. I would listen to, I, I love documentaries even as a child. I love listening to books, you know, uh, you know, on tape and stuff. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by why people do what they do. You know, that who am I, what am I, why am I concept. I've always wondered about that. Uh, what are the differences in people? Um, generally, there is no differences in people. The differences are so nothing compared to the big picture. So it's sort of like if you go back to the Comanches, say, uh, 1830, um, what's the difference between the, a lot of the tribal Arab cultures and the Comanches? There's not a whole lot of difference because tribal people do a certain thing to protect their environment. They have a belief in what, they, uh, and, and what the land is. They have a love for things that are pure. Uh, and uh, as they grow into their community, each member of the community uh, has a role to, to, to take care of, of, of the whole. And um, their life is really about living well so they can die well. And if you, if a, if you want to create a snapshot of an individual and you want to, you want to say something important, I'll say like, for instance, I did a piece called uh, uh, An Honored Life. Uh, and uh, it's really a, a tribute to an old guy who, who's lived well and let's say who's had a family that respects him and loves him and friends that love him and stuff. And he's reached that level where he has, uh, he's, he has all the accoutrements of his success. 
And as a sculpture, what am I going to do? Uh, do a uh, sculpture of a businessman with a suit and tie? Or am I going to create an old guy with a lot of cool character, give him a fantastic war bonnet with eagle feathers and, and all kinds of neat uh, things around that, that, that are, are just laden around his body and stuff. And in our, in our system, in our age, we've seen movies. And even though, even if we don't know what we're looking at, we have a feeling about what it is. And you, and you say, and you say to yourself, yeah, that's about a guy who's really cool. And he's really had a good life. And it's just a It's just a picture. It's either a painting or a sculpture, you see. Um, and, and so, so the idea of calling it a metaphor is, is that you're taking something, uh, that's, uh, it's it, it, it's easier to make poetry, visual poetry, with something that people already can complete or have their own story. Uh, uh, there's a the, in Romeo and Juliet. It's a good example. Uh, uh, Romeo looks up and and here comes Juliet standing out on the balcony, and he and he he says, he says, she touches her face. To be a glove. What does he mean? Well, we know what he means because we know the story already. We all know the story. We know we know what it is when you got two teenagers who love each other who can't be together because their their families are on opposing fields. And he's what he's saying. He says, "I'd give up my life to be with her right now." Shakespeare didn't need to say that. All he had to say was to be a glove. He commented, "She touches her face." You if you need to when you create something to be a, have a, a make it a good story, you've got to. Your audience has to have an experience that, that that they bring to it. By the time, if they have no experience to it, and you have to explain it to them, you know. Now you're now you're creating this book of of analytical uh, anecdotes that don't have that, that, that they don't have any rhythm or, or romance to it. You see. There was a lawyer that made a made a great great comment. He he was saying that uh, there was a he was talking about the importance of words, and his his analogy was is that words are not important. It's the spaces between, and he said there's a word spoken by a certain person that means a hundred different things, and the word is your name spoken by your mother. In other words, the inflection of how she says your name, you know what she means. It's a, all these different things. So the word becomes an analogy for the object. So if I'm going to paint a, 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 or sculpt a, a head of a human, it's no different than a, me sculpting a basketball, right? It's just a thing. But as soon as I put a, something that people have a little depth and it has a little inflection to it, it, no, it ceases to be just a, a piece of clay. Now all of a sudden it becomes a, a, a memory or a feeling. And and because most people don't walk around analyzing body language all day like I do, you know, you know, I'm, I'm studying it all the time. These little subtle nuances, but people know what it is when they see it. See, and and that's that's the first thing you have to do. You know, that's what Rachmaninoff does. That's what Beethoven did, or Mozart, or anybody like that. Herb Albert uh, bought one of my big sculptures once, and and he, he shared with me that he had a his. Most people have to be old enough to even know who, who he is, Herb Albert and, and the Tijuana Brass. But he, his big hit was the Lonely Bull, and, and he, he did the Lonely Bull without the hook. The hook was the fanfare at the beginning of it that was the da 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 da
to the, the biggest home run in the world. Uh, he, he sold more albums than the Beatles did that year. I mean, it was just, but see, that, that was the hook, okay? And the, re, and the hook was the thing that made people familiar, that brought them in, and they, and they could build on that idea. Hmm. And so this it's like someone handing you the keys to the door. This is what you do. This is how you bring it in. Hmm. You know, you can you can be like Goya. You can do something really simplistic. You can you can be like Picasso and do something that's that's this this like uh, African symbolism. Or you can be uh, like uh, Sargent, who's who's the master of these juicy, tasty brush strokes. And uh, and also uh, it's just a, a portrait of somebody's wife, you know. I mean, it's like, but yet uh, you just want to die, you know, when you see it, Oh, you know, you know, yeah, so, totally. so, yeah, but see, the thing is, is that, uh, it's, it's more than taste. It's something that you have to, you have to, it's a, it's an acquired taste. You have to learn to get into it. Hmm. I'm glad you, you, you brought that in and, and have been talking about this because this is something that I've been thinking about and struggling with for many years. And I think that my, my years uh, at fine art school and studying at a university level fine arts did a lot of damage because it caused me to go too far into my head and not really feel what I was doing. But, you know, when I look at your work and some of my other favorite artists around working today or even people from the past like Sargent or Goyer, mm. these, these amazing painters and sculptors, there is something universal about that work. There's a moment of recognition where I feel like if you have an art background, it's almost a disservice. It, it, these are works that are universal in the way that they speak to us. And you, mm -hmm. you just have this moment of recognition. And without knowing, without knowing much about Native American uh, culture, which I'm ashamed to say, you know, I'm from Texas. I've got American Indian blood in me, um, mm -hmm. you know, Comanche, Sioux and Cherokee, you know, mm -hmm. from all sorts of different mm -hmm. places, uh, mm -hmm. just a little bit more than Elizabeth yeah, Warren, sure. but just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, but, yeah. but I'm just, I, I think, um, you know, when I look at your work, I mean, without knowing those stories, there is a moment of recognition where I get exactly what, that subject is is thinking or feeling there's a there's a presence there there's a moment that you've captured and i think that's kind of what art's all about isn't it i mean it's that communication yeah. on another level entirely of course it's about it's about you know what what you're what you can build on um what you know sometimes uh, art is analytical or you're going to you're going to make a political uh, statement or you're going to make a statement that has to do with this. It's going to shock some people or whatever, and it's, or it's going to be graphic, pornographic or whatever. Uh, uh, I fit in the category of I like work that's beautiful. I like I like uh, I like like in movies. I like uh, I, I'll wade through a bad story to watch some really good acting. But in the end, I still like a good story. You know, I like the romantic part. I, I love that feeling you get when things are are working, you know, even though you've seen the story before, um, it, it, it's, uh, that, that's, that's the, the category that I, that I live in and, uh, uh, everything in, and the word metaphor is, is, um, you know, mythology. I call my work American mythology. It's the same thing. Um, it, you know, you were talking about, um, it being ruined by art school. Well, you know, see the, the way I see it is, is that you can separate craft from the art, all right? Uh, art school, of course, is going to teach you 
primarily the craft part. Your ex your life experience is going to teach you the art. All right. Uh, it's never going to ruin you, you know, it's just going to teach you the craft. To learn to play the p piano, let's say, you know, like I, I'm talking about Mozart. Uh, Mozart's main thing in his life was being a composer. The piano kind of, you know, bored him, actually. He was bored with that because he was so damn good at it. He could just do it. But he still had to learn it in order to compose. So you have to, you have to, you know, I love the analogy, you know, I'm thinking like um, uh, when you watch somebody that's reading music that they hadn't played before, they'll look at it and they'll read it and they'll play it and they look at it and you can, and there's, it kind of moves a little bit. So it comes from your head down to your, to the music. When somebody has internalized something, it comes, you can feel it comes from here. It just yeah. comes out. Okay. You have, and that's another one of those bumper stickers. You know, you have to know it so well you can forget about it. All right, wow. that's what art is. You you have to be able to just forget about it, hmm. and it just comes through. You have a vehicle. Um, now, I mean, at, the, at my point where I'm at, my work sometimes gets so technical, I am, and I get so in the weeds with it a lot of the times, that I don't know. I'll. I'll I'll, I'll forget about it too much, <laughs> and then I have to spend a couple of days fixing what I had forgotten about. <laughs> but but still, it's it's that there's a feeling when it is when it's not it it's not flowing, it's not fitting. Uh, that's where the music comes in. You see, music is lineal. So you know, I mean, it starts here and it ends here, and and uh, there's a place in the middle, you know, where you got that little thing that happens. Art. There's a lot of places that where it can where it can be messed up. The other thing is, is there's a consciousness that, that, that breaks. I have about, I usually f figure, and this is one of the reasons that I teach. I don't teach that often, but when I do teach, I'm really doing it for me. And one of them is, is to test the, the, my ideas on my students. And one of the things we talk about is how long can you look at something before you can't see it anymore? And for me, it's about three or four minutes. Um, you know, that's the old thing where you're doing a, uh, maybe you're, you're painting a, a, a portrait of somebody. And if you're, if you let it go longer than the four or five minutes, the eyes start to go like this. They start to go out of skew and, and you can't see it. So what do you do? You look in your mirror behind you or you turn the painting upside down and then you see it again. Or you walk away and you come back. All right. So the, that part of it has to do with the language, you know, your, your pronunciation, you're trying to say it just right. You're trying to put the, put the, the, the notes in the right order. You know, um, by proof of uh, what a sour note is. Yeah, I love that analogy, too. You're in a theater. The guy's up there playing his composition that he just wrote the night before. What does he do? He hits the wrong key. You can hear the seat squeak in the theater. And you have to ask yourself, how come everybody knew that he hit the wrong key? You know, they never heard it before. You see, they, they knew because he brought you into a certain lineage or, you know, and it, something came and it was out of Congress. So... Order is the key to good art, but ironically, the disorder is the thing that gives you the, the chills. So you break it and you fix it in a way to where you people are surprised and they go, whoa, yeah, isn't that amazing? See, that's what Sargent did. Sargent's work is so well-ordered. And then you go, wait a minute, that woman is eight foot tall. You know, I mean, how did that happen? You know, how come I didn't notice that before? Or, 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 or the finger, you know, was just painted with a little, you know, like this. And yet, when you go back, it's just exactly the way it's supposed to be. There's there's an elegance to things like that that, as humans, we really admire and we trust. 
And then once you trust it, you want more of it. And that's, that's the part of mastery. That's the part of how you refine what you're doing. You know, the better you get, the less you do. The, the, your subject starts to get simplified. You, mm. your, your work gets a little, but yet your audience, it doesn't come along with you. They have to, they have to work just as hard sometimes to come along with you. See, it's I I I've just been absolutely enamored with Sargent's work for so many years, and I remember the first time I saw an original because right? I'd never mm -hmm. seen an original like growing up, and in all I oh, had yeah. was like little images and books. Yeah, and I I I remember this painting you know from from a reproduction and then now i'm standing in front of the real thing and it was one of his venetian interiors and oh, yeah. um there was a there was a guy just kind of like on on a table at his elbow there he's resting his head yeah. in his hand like this and he was kind yeah. of looking out yeah. the window and i looked at the um the, the face of this gentleman and it just it broke my heart because i realized just in that moment that all sergeant had done were three or four little squiggles with a brush. And yeah, I yeah. knew this guy. I knew yeah. him. I knew what he was yeah. thinking. And yeah. I knew that yeah. he was like, oh, why did I marry her? You know, there was something, <laughs> there was something about his yeah. character in that moment, you know? And I was like, yeah. whoa. And I, I knew at that moment, like that, that, that was, there was a level of mastery there. And, and I, I love what you were saying as well. Like there's this kind of this point where, where the process also becomes intuitive in a way like you you reach that level and now yeah. suddenly you're just you're dialed in something just clicks and i've been i've been very fortunate in my career i've I, i've experienced a couple of those click moments um one of them for me was you know the the and, and i'm not saying i'm at the level you are a sergeant or anybody like that but for myself like what i what i experienced was Painting was such a a, a a a task that it required all of my mental faculties. Like it, it required everything. I had to think about everything I was doing. And I remember this day really clearly where my mind started to wander mm -hmm. as I was painting. And then suddenly I realized, hang on a second, I am not thinking about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then I suddenly realized, oh, wait my hand is just taking over now. And <laughs> yeah, it became yeah. intuitive. And then it was at that yeah. moment that I could start listening to music. I started listening to, to audio books. I started yeah, occupying yeah. my conscious mind now with things yeah, yeah, while yeah, I was good, doing that's that. That's interesting. Yeah. You yeah, know, it was yeah, so strange, yeah. but I, I wonder, yeah. I wonder if that was kind of like, like the, you know, the person sitting in front of that piano and suddenly they've internalized the music and now they're just hitting the keys. And well, it's like, yeah, it's I, I'm happening. sure it is. I, I, mm. I know it is. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, you know, you have to keep uh, keeping order sometimes. I mean, you never the word of the, the idea of mastering something. Uh, every project I do, um, I'm up in the ante a little bit. All right, I am. I'm always trying to, which means that I'm not. I'm not. In, I don't have it internally. I have to fake it. All right. I remember the very first piece I did. Uh, I was in, in so far over my head on it. And somehow or other, after it was finished, it was passed off as something that was good. Uh, now I look back on it now, I'm proud of it for in, in the fact that it was, what, it was something I did at the time. 
of course I could do way better today. You know, I mean, I've grown quite a bit, but I still feel like I'm faking it, you see? And I think it's important to, to take, to acknowledge that because growth, being teachable, you know, and being humble, um, you know, and now, and that being said, see, I'm not one of these guys that believes that the great masters came before. I don't believe that. See, Sargent didn't have the internet. I think he would have been better had he had the internet. All right. He had, it, it was hard. It was a lot harder for him. Um, the reason we look back at, you know, at people like him and we're so, we're, we're so amazed is that they set a, a template that we, a place for us to stand on. You know, it's that old analogy, you know, the shoulders of giants. It's, it's, it's just the way it is. It's like, and we don't know as an artist, you don't know a time where there wasn't Sargent. He became the standard of everything. And so unfortunately, or fortunately, the more Sargent-esque you get, the more happy you are with what you're doing. But the reality, what you're doing is, is you're, you're moving off your center a little bit. And that's what we do. But see, that goes back to craft. And I brought that up earlier. I came into art because I'm a natural craftsman. As a child, I was a good craftsman. In other words, I, I, it wasn't that I could draw, I could copy stuff, okay? And I, even when I was a kid, I knew that wasn't art. You know, I, I, someone else did the art, I'm just copying the damn thing, I knew that, you know? And then as I got a little older, you know, I started to, to really get interested in design and stuff like that. When I was working for George Masters, uh, I was copying photographs. I was just, they just needed one of pencil drawings of photographs. Uh, I was working for a famous man and I was, and I was a kid in an environment that uh, made me seem like I was really special, but it, there was nothing really special about it because, and when I was asked to do something that was important, I, I knew I couldn't do it, you see? So you learn that, okay, so does that mean that you can't be a good artist? I just know that the one brings you to the, to, to the idea of another. Uh, uh, I could have been a musician. I, maybe I could have been a poet. To me, they satisfy that same itch in me. But I, I had developed uh, the, the strength inside me for understanding visual uh, language and the vocabulary that I could think in was, was imagery. Uh, I'd get excited about how, how light and dark play against each other and how, you know, hard and soft edges and, and looking at photography and stuff. Uh, that to me, and it would just be, and I would be moved by it. Uh, Fritz, Fritz Lang, you know, watching that movie Metropolis, you know, and you, you look at that and you go, God, you know, it's just like, where did that guy come from? So you see where these people come and then, and then they've influenced all these generations. Um, yeah, there are heroes, but the, but the real artists are, are living today. The people today, we have more going on today. Uh, we have to, I mean, we're, we're evolving. It, it, and it's just a language. The problem is, is that the audience it, it has a little. It maybe it takes a maybe it takes a lifetime to understand it and a lifetime to see it. I I I I'm with you on that. I, I think um, some of the best artists ever could be 
alive today, working today. I do think we have the tendency to look back in the past and, and put these these greats and the masters up on pedestals. Maybe maybe rightfully so. I mean, I, I have the utmost oh, oh, respect yeah. of people who are able to do stuff without resources that we have today. Now I look at the resources that we have, like, let's say, you know, photographic reference, digital technology, being able yeah. to do things to just forward our our creativity. Like I, I think if Caravaggio was alive today, I mean, he was using a camera obscura, but if he could have used a digital projector, maybe he would be. <laughs> maybe he'd be like, what, you guys are, you've got this technology? Well, what, yeah, well, why not? Well, yeah, you see, you see, and you can make the argument what the difference does it make, you know, because it's uh, Ansel Adams, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ansel Adams was brilliant because of his compositions. Yeah, and absolutely. His, his, and his love to get get it right. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, I'll make the argument that uh, Frank Lloyd Wright was probably the most influential and best artist of the last century. Uh, and people go, "What?" And I go, "Well, he look at look at what he what he did. You know, whether you like his architecture or not. That's amazing. Look what he did yeah. to, to influence. But yeah. uh, but did he own a hammer? Okay." And yeah, the point yeah. of that that our question is is he 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 wasn't even building this stuff. He was someone else was building it. You see, mm -hmm. so it's kind of a thing. I happen to be a craftsperson, but I I put I value the design part. You see, mm -hmm. I want to be known as a designer. I just haven't gotten uh, the uh, the in into that place where I can have other people make my stuff for me. <laughs> you know, but but I don't put it. I I look at it all as you know in the same place. Um, you know, it's and don't get me wrong either. When I talk about uh, you know guys like Sargent, there's a handful of guys from that period. Mm. I can't say that I've ever seen anybody's work better that I like better today than anything that Sargent did. There's sure. a couple of this piece, of course. It's just that I don't like the idea of using it as a crutch. It's it's easier to say, yeah, those guys were the masters. We'll never be that good. It's like I have artist friends that talk like that, and I don't like to hear that. I like it. I say that's bullshit. We're going to get. We're, we're we we have we have the resources to go beyond that. But as you were talking about art school and stuff, sometimes our influences do get in our way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, you know, we're going to be talking about marketing at some point, and you have you yeah, your yeah, whole yeah. your whole audience, your audience out there has an expectation, mm -hmm. and. That expectation will, on one level, creates a responsibility in you that makes you want to work harder. But on the other end, you want to also give them what they what they think they're going to pay for. You see, because they're they're not going to bed dreaming about art like you are. They're they're, they're they have other lives, and you know I, I, I've got some collector friends who are really good collectors who definitely don't know much about art, <laughs> but, but, but they love collecting. Well, I, I can tell you one thing. Everybody that's listening to this podcast is dreaming about art. <laughs> this is, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. very much yeah, so. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's, I think I, I just, yeah, just to kind of clarify though, my, my, my thoughts there, because again, I've been thinking about this for years and, and like you, I, I, I do have an issue when people do put these people up on pedestals. Yeah, it's, it's important to give respect where respect is due. But I think what it does is it also limits us in that moment. I mean, when we look back at these artists of the past, they were just human beings. 
They were just right. people dealing with those circumstances at that time. There was nothing in the water right. then that created these superhumans. They were just human right. beings that were sensitive, that were responding to their environment. We certainly yeah. have the capability to do that now, I, I yeah. think. And, and so I think, yeah. and, and I also think that now more than ever, especially now, I heard this all the time at the art school that I went to, which was a very contemporary art school. They were pushing the modern art movement, which I think is just mm -hmm. not something that should be pushed. I think it's a psyop, a massive conspiracy, and I, we don't have to go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. But yeah, I, I yeah, think I yeah. think modern art, for the most part, is complete garbage. But I think that that what what happened is. It, it kind of gave way to this idea that painting is dead, tradition is dead, realism is dead. But now I think that there's more of a demand and a hunger than ever for things that are traditional, things that are realistic, and things that are made by hand from skilled craftsmen, you know, right. from people that really know their craft, that really know their stuff. I think, exactly. I think people are yeah. hungry for it, right? Well, well of course. Uh, the, 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 the more we go away from it, the more valuable it becomes. Yeah, you see, of course, um, it's it's ludicrous if you think in terms of uh, uh, the styles of art today, literature. Okay, um, uh, Harry Potter. All right, it's a child's book basically, but but um, the skill it took to write those those books, and I have, I, 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 as it turns out, I, I haven't read any of them, but but I understand the story, and I and I and I'm thinking, and I put I'll put them in this in the I'll put them in the category of art because it, there, it, it has to be. It's a person had to create that from experiences that relate to other people's experiences, which is essentially what I'm trying to accomplish. All right, and they have to be interesting at the same time. So you're taking a kind of a trite story on one level that maybe has been told so many times, and you twist it and turn it into something else. Uh, when I was a kid, and one of my still one of my favorite stories is Alice in Wonderland. You know, it's a pretty basic stuff, but it puts you in another state. You know, it puts you, it takes you out of one world, puts you in another world. Uh, there's never going to be an end to that kind of feeling for someone to comment that, you know, realism or, or board, uh, art with, with that doesn't have a narrative, you know, or, you know, is, it, is, is better than narrative art. It, it, it's like, well, why, 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 why even bother watching a movie? Um, Movies are more arty today than they than they used to be. I mean, you know, back in the fifties, some of the uh, the movies that were coming out were just churned out for the just for the, you know, they, they were formulated. You have directors now and stuff who are truly artists. You have cinematographers that are true artists, and 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 it's like art, visual art is stronger and more prevalent today than it's ever been. You know, it's everywhere. That's, you know, it's so for anybody to mm. make a comment. You know that it's that kind of stuff isn't happening. It's like that's that's, but but what you're talking about is also another thing too. Is is that you're that there are certain things that create a a political statement in a sense, um, and it's easier to make a statement if it isn't obvious what it is. You know, so you have that that kind of a. Of a thing going on, you know. Uh, Mark Rothkow would be an example. I and I happen to really like Mark Rothkow. Actually, um, me too, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah me sure, too. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Um, uh, uh, Steve Wynn from you know the the casino Wynn Casinos uh, uh, had bought 
uh, uh, Rothko for his birthday, and his his friend was Tony Robbins, and he asked Tony Robbins to come over. He says, "I want to show you what I bought myself for my birthday." And he he's, he walks in and he looks at it and he goes, "So he says, what do you think?" And he says, "By the way, he said I paid twenty five million for that." And so so Tony says, uh, "If you got some brown paint, I'll, I'll paint you another one." You know, <laughs> <laughs> but. But 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 he but he in the story he wasn't he literally he wasn't saying he wasn't saying that was a bad idea that this wasn't important that wasn't the point the the point was the point was is that certain things um, have certain levels of of value that are based more on a society uh, in a in a in a they're they're kind of cataloged um, by a culture mm-hmm. and Rothko was one of those people that had been put into that category. Uh, and it, it's his work is like currency in some way. It's validated by the fact that it's been exchanged on on certain levels, and the value of it becomes uh, layered on in different in, in different ways. Uh, and I happen to think it is beautiful. Is and whenever I drop the the idea in my mind that it that that maybe it's not there to just pull you know pull pull a trick on you you know like you know it's like the emperor's new clothes kind of a thing mm. so you have a lot of that going on in 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 back and forth but see it's it's in my mind though Roth, using Rothko as an example uh, we're not in the, I'm not in the same business that he's in you see or, or that he's in he has nothing to do with what I'm doing necessarily other than he's con- composing uh, simple shapes and simple subtle colors and he he came at a time when this type of work became, uh, there was an uh, there was an opportunity for it to become very valuable and become iconic very, very quickly, and create some sort of elite kind of almost political uh, thing where if you needed to have it and make a statement, you know you you buy the you know the, the, today it's like Jeff Koons you know Jeff Koons creates that same thing whether you like his work or you don't like his work if you if he you drives me a, nuts he well, drives yeah, yeah. me so, mental so you, so you buy a so, so you buy a big bronze uh uh blow up doll uh, uh dog and but you know but you said yeah. at the same time it's back to that thing we were yeah. t- we started off talking about the coronavirus it's 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 part of that organic texture mm-hmm. of the life as you pass through it and it's great that it drives you nuts on one level, but on the other level, you know it's part of it's just it's the part of the minutia that you have to yeah. you have to maneuver, and you can use it. You can that's my point. You don't have to get out of its way. You can actually use it for where you're at, and you can embrace it. You know, I I I I see. Yeah, on on a certain level, I think. Yeah, you're you're right. It's absolutely necessary, isn't it? I mean, look, if we didn't yeah. have that, how would we be able to have something to judge against? I mean, for well, me, for me, I there, that it puts everything in a certain context. You've got things that yeah, are meaningless, yeah. and then that creates therefore, therefore, by virtue, you've got something that sure. has meaning. You know, how, I, how how could you be a Republican if there was no such thing as a Democrat? You see? There you go. You got to have it. So quit, quit complaining. You know, you know, you know. It's like thank God for these characters that are on the other side of the fence. Yeah. It's it's all part of that whole point. Yeah. Um, I'm only a good artist because some people see me as being better, in their opinion, than than my contemporary some of my contemporaries. But if we were all as good as me, well, that would mean that I wouldn't be any good, right? It's all everything is always compared to something else. 
Sure. It sounds so so basic, doesn't it? But we don't really but, think about it in those terms. It's, no, it's no, important no, to kind of acknowledge. We, yeah. It, it is. You acknowledge it because you need to save yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, it's and it's uh, it's okay to get pissed off about stuff. I'm, don't sure. get me wrong. You know, and uh, you know, there's a lot of different angles. I, while about uh, five years ago, I had the opportunity to take a workshop from Odd Nerdrum. Are you familiar uh, with Odd Nerdrum? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a, it was a really a neat opportunity. It might know it was longer than five years, I guess, but he was teaching in New York. But there was there's things that he does that absolutely I couldn't even tell my my friends about because because they they would just be appalled. But then on the other end, what he was doing was so crazy cool on some other level yeah. you see and i looked at it i looked at the at the taking a workshop from a guy like that that was so far out of of this world as an opportunity to experience something and the only way you can do that though is you have to embrace it for that moment i was talking to a few other people in the class and i said wow this guy is like how, how do you feel about it and and i mean i could go on about how peculiar some of the things he was doing were but they said, you know, we would be disappointed if he wasn't like that, you know, because literally it was like going into another time frame. And he's in a role in how he presents himself and presents his work that doesn't break. I mean, it's, it's a total lineage. And uh, to me, it, it falls into that category of thank God. Isn't it great to be alive when you have certain people like that, whether you like it or not, the fact that they they they're they're doing what they're doing and they have a following mm-hmm. and you watch that following. Now, when I watch it, I get, I roll my eyes sometimes because it's kind of ridiculous. But on other times, uh, what it's done is, is it bends stuff and it allows you to, to, to explore more of what, what you're, you're up to. I, I've, for the people that are listening to this that aren't as familiar with Odd Nerdrum's work, a quick Google search would reveal, you know, some of his his paintings. And I remember I had a, a flatmate many years ago who had a giant book, like a telephone book thick, when the, when the yeah. cell phone used to be a thick book, yeah. uh, telephone book thick portfolio of just full of art, Odd Nerdrum paintings over the decades. Yeah. And some yeah. of them were the most confronting, horrifying, yeah. uh, disturbing <laughs> images. Like, how could you paint something like, let's say, a woman uh, crouched on the, the bank of a creek defecating? Like, how could you paint well, well, something that, like that, this? That's, that's that's a signature painting. And that's, yeah. And that's one and, of the lighter ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, the key is, the key is, is to take that and then, and then, and then look past it. Yes. And, but, and, and I, and the way I would look at it would be is, is that, uh, I literally had a feeling, uh, when I took his workshop that I was getting, uh, sort of a, uh, a, a, a pass in front of the line that my some of my comrades who would have been appalled by that wouldn't take. In other words, it's a place in life. Sometimes you just have to have to move past some of those things and understand that there's another it, 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 that bump in the road is actually going to reveal itself. I, and he, he's got yeah. a a lot of interesting philosophy that goes along with his painting as well. I, look, I, I'm sure so. I, I think part of it, I, and I don't know, I'm not inside his mind. And I, to be honest, at the time, it, there was this initial shock factor of looking at a lot yeah. of his works. But then I started looking at it and going, hang on, there's something here. It's more than just something that is like, uh, you know, right. yeah, th- there's there's more than th- that. Like, maybe there's something here. Maybe it's about, hey, could we take something like this and make it? 
yeah. you know, intriguing, interesting, yeah. or, or point yeah. to something yeah. that is a common element. Hey, we all do yeah. that, you know? Well, like, yeah, you see, you see, and just by me, virtue of me actually saying that, especially mm. on your podcast here, yeah. reveal something about me, maybe, mm -hmm. you see, and that other people go, what, you know? Yeah. Um, when I'm working on some of my work, whether it's a sculpture or a painting or whatever, I will purposely sometimes make a mistake. Oh, wow. I'll purposely throw something in that's wrong. And what it does is, is it creates, it creates an environment to where I have to deal with that, with that anomaly. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when you open your mind to certain uh, other artists, it does, it does the same, it does the same thing. There has to be a, a there, there's a, it's a gift to be, to live a certain amount of time. There's a gift to be alive at a certain time too. Uh, it, for me to say that the coronavirus actually has value, it, most people would misunderstand me if, if I just said it like that. You have to use all the caveats that, that, and, and all the res due respect, of course. But it's, it's, it's like the Holocaust. I mean, people that have studied the Holocaust, I mean, you really study something like that. You really understand it, uh, that, there's, that people actually survived during the on both sides of the fence i mean there were guards and there were people that there were prisoners who are human beings who were the same in so many ways as you and i and by understanding those things you 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 it gives you a, a, i think a greater opportunity it isn't like you can hold those feelings but it gives you a greater opportunity and so when you embrace something you know uh that you don't understand, and and you're right. Jeff Koons drives me nuts too, but it but sometimes in a good way because because it, because it is so is so beyond. Wait a minute, that isn't what you're supposed to be able to do. And and I'll tell you how I live with it is I use the word business. You see, I'm not in that business. This guy's in this business. I'm in this business. You see, and there's different ways that you can bring yourself to it. And to me, it sort of levels the field, keeps your path open, and. It, it means that when you're on your deathbed, you if you still have a lucid moment, you can say to yourself, you know what, I, I really I was I was awake during the ride, you know, I actually did stay awake. I happen to be a, a recovering alcoholic, and that's the other reason why I say that, because staying awake is not something that I spent a lot of my life not being awake. You know, I, I haven't had a drink since since I was 35 years old, and that so that was almost 30, that was 35 years ago. Um, but it was another one of those things that gives me a benchmark. It's like a rebirth. It's, a, it's like you get to start over again. And what happens when somebody is working on a process of drinking themselves to death, and then they, they, then they quit and they choose to live, they've actually chosen to, be, to survive on a level that, that, that gives them permission to be a little more aware, to be a little bit more open, to be able to see things a little bit more. Um, the fact that I'm, you know, we talked about before, I'm, I have the classic dyslexia, you know, that a lot of artists have. Again, it gives me an opportunity. The fact that I, the reason I don't read, that I haven't read certain books is because I, when was the last time I read a book? I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I read a book. I mean, I literally have tr really a lot of trouble reading, but I really can, but I can remember things, you know, and I, so there's a lot of other opportunities too. So th the whole point is, is that the moral of the story is, is the things that hold you back are ironically the things that are actually going to move you forward. There was, those are the, you know, the, the idea of making a mistake, 
Um, thank God you made the mistake, because if you didn't make the mistake, how are you going to learn? You don't learn from your successes. You literally don't learn from what you already knew how to do. You already knew how to do that. So you set the stage so that you can create stumbling blocks and you can create controversy and you can, you can explore things and you can test yourself. You know, uh, you know, I, I think this is why, you know, when, when we, when we indulge in things, I'm glad you brought that in again. I mean, when we indulge in things like watching the news that promote one particular side of an argument or one particular uh, uh, narrative, or you're watching it something, something that is particularly polarizing in terms of politics, you turn on that TV station, they're promoting that person, this other TV station promotes that person, and you're not going to get any of that opposing point of view. I think I think whenever you do that, you're filtered into seeing things from one side. And, and I like that you brought this into the conversation because I think about this all the time. I think there's a silver lining in everything. There's a benefit to everything, everything we can use in some way. The minute we decide and label it as, no, no, this is a that. We don't entertain the idea that it could be something else. And yeah. this is the other thing as well. I get emailed all the time from people who want to know how to be a successful artist, yet they're so dang afraid of failing. And that's that's the yeah. thing that I that I, I'm constantly on about. It's like, no, you gotta fail. Go out there and fail spectacularly and do well, a great well, job yeah. at that. Because you're gonna yeah, learn there, something. You're gonna you, something's gonna come out of it. Uh, there's there's one simple secret to success mm -hmm. and that is to embrace failure. And that's as strange as that sounds that's the key to everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the fact that I, I quit my career at 19 years old, got married, had kids, started at 42. Part of it was is that I wanted that I was, I was insecure enough with the art, of course, and loved it so much that I was af totally afraid of it. Wow. But but I had to get the money part out of the way. Mm -hmm. And once I started my career, I was, was actually conflicted, of course, that I, what if I would have started when I was, what if I always kept going? And I realized I would have made a lot of stupid mistakes, that not, not, not good mistakes, the kind of mistakes that might have maybe uh, kept, held me back, maybe. It was maybe better that I went the path I did, but once I started my career, I sat on my front porch and I started to write my little diagram of what I needed to do and how I was going to measure my success. And the top of my list was all the things that I was afraid of and that I was going to commit myself to do, speaking in public. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I had a much bigger fear of that than I think most people do, even though most people would argue with that. They say, you know, most people would rather die than speak in public. But... I realized that that was holding me back. I see, you know, if you're an artist, you have to talk about your work. Um, uh, and I started making commitments on, on what I was going to do. I was going to start applying for things that I normally wouldn't do. I was going to use rejection as a, as a way of, of measuring my success. Someone asked me a couple of years later, how are you doing? I said, I'm in a lot of pain, so I must be doing very well. You know, oh, what wow. do you mean by that? Well, well I'm, I'm getting rejection uh, notices. Uh, those rejection notices let me know that I'm on the path. You see, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you turn it around, you know, people got to believe that they got to see, that's the key. 
Uh, people don't want to believe that. They want, how, how do you do this? Well, no, you, you, you have to be, a, you really have to be an asshole. You really have to put yourself in a situation where people are going to go, Jesus, what the, like walking into a gallery, schlepping your stuff in and say, gee, well, you, here, I, I want to be in your gallery. That's, that's a, you know, it's like, get out of here. You know, it's like, you know, they, they do whatever they can. You know, oh, my God, you know, I mean, you don't want to buy something. You want to sell me something. Gallery owners are like, oh, my God, this is the most awful thing in the world. Yeah, I've done That's that. the reason why. <laughs> well, of course you have. Every artist has. Any, every artist that's successful has, yeah. you know. And it's, you're, intru you're an intruder. You know, you, no one wants to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. until you can do it in a way to where you give you your proud of yourself for the failure, you literally got to be proud of yourself. Yeah. 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 I'm moving forward here. Yeah. Now, when I used to use the word asshole, I meant it's like you feel that way because you would have never, you want to protect your dignity. And then you finally get to the point where, no, that's not, that's not what it is. It's your dignity is, is, is much bigger than that. Your dignity is, is to be an advocate for, for, for your career, not for your stupid ego. The ego is important. Yeah, I think. See, that's the irony: is the ego isn't like an engine that drives you, but you have to have, you have to be an advocate for the art and the process, the mastery, the idea of moving forward. You know, you, the goal is is to grow, is to grow and to, and to move move forward. How do you do that? You find you find ways to measure your success by creating situations that that you hit you in the head and they and they, they beat on you a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you have to feel that loss. You have to, oh, yeah. Uh, my dyslexia, the com we're on this computer here, you know, yeah, and, sure. and and we've got this this technology mm -hmm. and, you know, Sergeant and all that kind of stuff. He didn't have a computer. What do I have that Sergeant didn't have? A, I have a computer. Now, I'm old enough, too, to where my son-in-laws and stuff will say, Wow, you're really great that you've got you bought an iPhone and all that. You know, this was 20 years ago. You know, it's like, well, well I, hey, I'm really into technology. Well, I'm also got a learning disability, and you don't think this stuff doesn't screw with my learning disability? I mean, I get on this stuff. It's like this Skype stuff. It's like, what a wonderful thing. Part of the reason I wanted to do this with you is that I know that this is going to be helpful for, for me going forward. But it drives me nuts because it it it's something that's hard for me to grasp. And and when I all I have to do is have a few little things go wrong, and that whole feeling that goes, I, all of a sudden the depression starts to come in, that thing where I'm losing my mind, you know, because I, you know, I'm oh. not quite quite there. I, I, yeah, you know. I know exactly and, what that's like. Yeah, especially well, with well, technology for me, like me and technology, well, sure. we don't mix. But well, I, but I manage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and you work with your hands. You see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a I'm a good craftsman, but see, technology doesn't involve craftsmanship. So what it what it amounts to is that I've learned how to move through that. Yeah, sure. You know, and that, and that's that's the key to everything. You know, when you t teach a workshop, um, very rarely when I was teaching, uh, would I f feel like I was really teaching them how to sculpt or or some of the principles in art. What I wanted to teach them is how to how to how to survive in an environment where they have to, you know, show their underbelly, show show that they're not who they thought they were, and and that and that it, it's okay to fail because you're going to fail in front of everybody, especially mm -hmm. as as the instructor. You know, I mean, I'm demonstrating, and here, you know, it's like you know, and it's like you're here, you are, and it's like, 
uh, you know, you know, some of the students would say, uh, well, is it like your technique that you make the legs too small or something? You know, and I go, no, it's not my technique. It's just that I, you know, I, I, I just screwed up. That's all. You know, can, it's can just, I, can I bring something into the podcast? <laughs> I, Cause I could totally relate. I was teaching yeah. a landscape painting workshop many years ago. I won't mention her name, uh, but I was, this is when I was teaching live workshops and yeah. I was trying to teach optical color mixing, painting a sunset. So I was, uh -huh. I was, you know, getting in touch with my internal Edgar Payne and yeah. uh, I was, yeah. I was showing this technique, how we use different, different colors to make uh, something, you know, a, a uniform transition between, uh, you know, these beautiful reds and yellows and oranges into the blue without actually having it go green. And I remember I was painting, I was getting real nervous because the room just went really quiet. And then in the background, I just heard this, this woman reminded me of, you know, Selma and Patty out of the Simpsons. She's like one uh -huh. of those and she just chain smoking as well. And she was just like, I don't like it. You know, <laughs> that's all I heard. And everybody else just like, you could have heard a pin drop. And I turned around yeah, and I'm like, huh? well, I'm not effing done yet. Like, just give it a minute. But dude like no, yeah. no that's perfect I, oh i know and that, and that that's and again that's why that's what i got out of the experience of myself i was doing it for myself yeah yeah you know, and and by able to turn that around and let my students know that mm. i'm the one getting all the lessons here you're going to get a few but i'm the one getting the most of them ain't that true and, and yeah. i and i could i could spout off on all of my little things and my little bumper sticker philosophy mm. and tell me where i'm going wrong and people would come up with these ideas and Sometimes they, they would show me and I go, yeah, yeah, you know what? I hadn't thought of that, mm. but it puts, but that's the key to it. You know, it's the, it's the key of being able to put yourself in what constitutes an expert. It puts you in that, uh, that environment where you, you're, you're, you're up high enough where people intuitively want to cut your legs off. They want to be able to do that. And it, and it's very helpful because it gives you the opportunity you know, to find, to really find out what's important and what's real and what works and what's, you know, what's not, not real. Mm -hmm. yeah? do, do you know what one of the most valuable places though, uh, for, for this type of thing, um, for an artist these days, I'll uh, just speak from experience, the YouTube comment section, just go waiting oh. through that. And that's, <laughs> that's an well, education see, I don't know if right I'm there. Strong enough. I don't know if I'm strong enough. No. <laughs> oh, gee. I, you know, I, I, yeah, that, uh, oh, I could imagine. Well, oh. sure. Because now you're, now you're dealing with people that are anonymous. So I don't know about that. Stuff. Uh, they're going to tell you exactly what they think, man. <laughs> well, yeah, it is funny because I mean, it's uh, obviously Instagram and, and Facebook. One of the, the negatives I found was, is that inherently people do like to compliment you. They're never going to say, you know, hey, you know what? I think you suck. But I think on YouTube, <laughs> on YouTube, I think there's another there's another dimension there, and I've I've kind of picked up on that that, uh, that they don't that, that's that, it's a little harder. Oh, there's to, one there's one that just kills me, and it still gets me. But there, I just posted my how to paint portraits, you know, tutorial. There was a short YouTube video, and this one comment was like, oh, gee, well, I feel a lot better about my paintings now. <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> thanks yeah thanks a bunch yeah, i know yeah. exactly what you mean <laughs> but hey yeah. look a lot of people like that and it helped a lot of people so i'll stick with it you know uh, but look hey see, see again you were the one that got the benefit though you see oh sure you got the benefit yeah. oh you yeah. got you got to stay human and you got to stay and i, I th i've seen this with so many artists right and so many uh, of who we call masters and you know who the masters are because they're the ones that are going to tell you i'm a master yeah. and artists like that there, there's just <laughs> there's 
I also, you need that balancing factor of somebody who's willing to come up and say, hey, you know what, you kind of suck. Or, you know what, I like this, but you missed something here. And because I think we got to yeah. remember that we're all yeah. learning. Yeah. We're, yeah. It, the minute you yeah. decided you've mastered this thing, the minute you decided you got this thing whipped, I think you're done as an artist. And I think well, you're well, done as a person. You, you are. I think the best way to describe it, though, is, is to get back to the marketing concept, you see, because yeah. in marketing, you have to you have to describe what your product is. What is it you're selling? Mm. All right. So you, if you take, you know, remember, you know, like Thomas Kincaid, speaking of the master of light, yeah. taking a, a particular thing and you're putting a hook on it. This yeah. is the hook. Um, and, and then people would say things that were derogatory. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's sort of a, uh, and I would, I would say, and I would defend, you know, I, I would be, I would be quick to defend Thomas Kincaid as an artist because I didn't look at him as an, as a fine artist. I looked at him as a man who had created a system to create, uh, a, a an attractive, uh, art product that people, um, could that that the people uh, could feel um, like a quick a little story that and and then and they were cute and they were simple and accessible uh, yeah ex yeah. accessible and yeah. uh, where the, where they deep no he wasn't selling deep okay no. he, he uh, so the the what I was trying to do is is redefine the fact that we're not talking yeah. about it's unfair to talk about somebody in the wrong category. You see, mm -hmm. um, if a person is interested in being a poet, uh, they don't they don't automatically take a one word to, to to explain who they are and what they are, like being the master of light. Uh, that's not very poetic. It means he's one dimensional. It's like Odd Nerdrum being the master of defecating women. You know, <laughs> it, it's it, it, there's it's not about that. It, yeah. You see. The depth is about something else. And see, when you're talking about marketing, though, you see, that's the other issue. Well, because now you're trying to put yeah. a, now you're trying to put a, 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 put it into some kind of a category. Yeah. I've, I've even told people uh, when, the, you know, they're in certain environments, if they ask me what it is that I sell or what I do, I said, I'm in the collectible business. Because I, my work is not meant to decorate with, but I know that people do decorate with it. And I, it's important for me that it looks de decorative. I want it to be. I want it to be pleasing. I want people to be able to live with it. Yeah. You know. So I'm not in the same business with Odd Nerdrum as an example. Um, but you see, that's the key, though. The key is, is that you have to understand that you're. The the, the if you're saying that people are collecting, it means that it's evolving and it's based on something. That that is that's been given some sort of a dimension by other people that are sup supposedly the experts, and they know the experts are people that run shows, people that have galleries, mm -hmm. you know, people that give awards, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, other collectors. And what happens is it builds a culture. Mm -hmm. And within that culture, culture, you're brought into it as a person who does a certain thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, in a very simplistic way, you know, I'm the guy that 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 does Indians, you know, and of course I don't like that, but yet I, I'll let people say whatever they need to say. I see, but again, it's it's having the, that 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 uh, juxtaposition of ideas, though. Yeah. And under, understanding that marketing or making a living, mm. uh, it, it it does have to do with the quality of your work, but it isn't about the it isn't necessarily about the quality of the work. It's about the position that the artist takes 
to present themselves to fit a certain collector base. Sure. Uh, and if that if your work is of a high quality, and it's evolving, and you still have a collector base, then then that's great. Uh, using Kincaid's example, he, his collector base was was the masses. It was it was QVC, it was the Home Shopping Network, and see that was that was a choice that where the work literally was was based as a product. It's a dance, isn't it? I mean, it's we're, we really do have a, a, a tall order kind of trying to occupy both those spaces, maintaining our creativity, our sense of self, but then also being business minded about this and marketing ourselves. You know, and yeah. I'm glad you brought Thomas Kincaid into the conversation because a few years ago, I, I did a Q&A video on my YouTube channel where I was talking about my art heroes. And Thomas Kincaid was actually one of my art heroes. And some people like I actually got some hate for that. They're like, how could you like Thomas Kincaid? I'm like, look, I'm not a fan of his paintings, but that doesn't matter. Look at what yeah. this guy was able to do with his business. He is collected yeah. by more yeah. people well, than yeah. any other artist ever, ever. Well, look, more people have yeah. reproductions yeah. of his yeah. Christmas cottage yeah. than any other painting. <laughs> like, I, I don't yeah. care if you're talking yeah. about yeah. Van Gogh's sunflowers or his iris paintings or the uh, Monet's water lilies. Thomas Kincaid has them whipped in terms yeah. of art reproductions. He, uh, when he was at his, his peak, he was the most famous artist in the world. And what yes. that does is, is it levels the conversation mm -hmm. and it allows people to talk about, then, okay, now what is important to you? Yes. Is, it, is it important to be the most famous artist in the world? Now, um, you're not putting Sargent and Thomas Kincaid in the same category, no. but yet they're both probably is equally known. All right. Yeah. Maybe Kincaid is still more well known than Sargent. But the, but the, but see, you got to ask you. You have to know what you want sure. and you can't know what you want until you put everything in the mix. And if you're if you're coming up and you want to make a living as an artist, you have to find those places. You know, and like, let me talk about let me talk about that just for a second, because of course. I'm in the, I'm in the Western art culture. OK, Western art. Uh, in the 70s and 60s, the cowboy artists of America in this country created uh, a cultural environment that linked with history and with, with mostly people in Texas who were in the oil business. In other words, they owned ranches related to that. And what happened was is you had this perfect storm of, 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 of painting Charlie Russell, Remington style, ilk, kind of uh, a little bit on the naive side of the painting a little bit, but yet down and dirty, cool, cartoony sometimes, cowboy, and and then you attracted the, some of the uh, great painters, illustrators from the East. They came in and got, they evolved into the Cowboy Artists of America, brought another level of sophistication and these collectors stayed with it. And where I came into being, you know, I mean, I was aware of this as I was coming up. I became a member of the Cowboy Artists in 2001, um, right at the end of, 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 of a period where some of these guys were starting to uh, pass on and become emeritus. But one of them in particular, Howard Turpening, had always been my favorite Western artist. He, he's still my favorite Western artist. He happens to be a really, really great painter. But he also gets a million and a half dollars for a painting. Now, how many living how many living artists 
get a million and a half for a painting, okay? Now, but you see what happened was, is that he was coming up in a, in a, in a cultural um, cocoon, we'll say, that, that it, was, it was all pre, uh, with, where, the, where the collectors and the artists all lived together, so to speak. They gained access to that as like, next to impossible. When I became a member, I was the first new member of the Cowboy Artist in four years. It was another two years after I got in before there was another new member. There's never been more, say, than 25 members of the Cowboy Artists of America. It, it, it's a, it's a, a cultural anomaly, and their marketing and the way they sell and the way they create their work is based on certain uh, standards that really helped bring Western art along, and it also gave birth to uh, Western museum shows. Uh, the Cowboy Hall of Fame has the Prix de West. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, then you have the, the Booth Museum, the, the Briscoe, um, you've got the Gene Autry uh, uh, American Master Show. All those came out of the Cowboy Artists of America. Now, what's that, why, why that's all important is, is that when you're talking about marketing, you're, you, you're making the assumption as an artist that most people, say you're a five, okay, if you're going to measure your, your ability, and your goal is to become a ten, when you get to that 10, the collectors are always going to be below the five to begin with. So they're going to be fours. You understand my analogy? They're buying your work before as a five. So what happens is you've got, you've wasted five points by coming a 10. They don't know the difference. Now that's being a little bit, uh, um, I don't know, that's being a little cynical maybe. But what happens to these folks is, is that they, they, they love the collecting part and they grow, okay? But they grow first by understanding that it's the company you keep. They, uh, you, you're, you're part of museum shows that have prestige attached to them. And what happens is, is that as by being an exclusive member, I applied to the Prix de West for 10 years. When I got in, I was like, boy, it was like I was anointed. It was like with the, with the Cowboy Arts of America. Uh, one day I was not known. The next day everybody's asking, where the hell did you come from? Wow. You know, look at you. You know, why? Because now all of a sudden I'm, I'm in a cultural environment where I have at least one guy that's getting over a million dollars for a painting. Um, so how does that help? I mean, where I'm at, all I have to do is, is, is keep my, keep my nose down and go along for the ride and, and, and make a commitment to to get better every every year that I'm in this, and to, and to, and to be and to, and to make sure that I give back everything that I take, and be grateful for for that for that for for that little leg up that I got. You see, I mean, th I mean, literally, you know, those 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 events that I got into, those cultural events that I was uh, that I was given access to has really given me a great advantage in my career. Now, that being said, I also understand something about the idea of being an entrepreneur, too, because of my past life, you see. So when people ask me, so how do I do this? How do I make a living? You know, in my workshops, I, my dad used to sell vacuum cleaners, all right? It, it turned out that one year in California, he sold more vacuum cleaners one year in California than anybody else in the whole state. So it wasn't like he just sold vacuum cleaners. This guy was a great salesman, and I and 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 he was my fa my father, and I grew up in in the in in that environment with him, 
And so I, and when I grew up, I thought like he did. So I'll tell my students, if you, if, if you, if you really want to be successful at this, maybe you should go out and sell some vacuum cleaners. And of course, you know, it's, it's they, 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 of course, don't understand what I'm saying, so I have to explain it. I don't really literally expect you to do that, but it would actually help because the idea is, is that once you create this heartfelt thing that you've created that's so deep and dear to you, and then you put it, you put it for, out to sale, get, it's a product. And once it's a product, you have to label it. You have to say, this is what it is. And then you have to, def, you have to understand your neighborhood, the, the neighborhood that you're going to sell it in. And you have to find a way to present it to people. The same way a, a vacuum cleaner salesman does. My dad was successful because he moved to Manhattan Beach, California in the late 40s, along with every other GI that was getting out of, out of the war. And everybody was buying houses. And the, what did the housewives need? They needed vacuum cleaners. So he sold Kirby vacuum cleaners. They last for friggin' ever. And so he f sold everybody a vacuum cleaner, and then he got into real estate because it was done. He knew his, his market was, was done. It's the same concept. You, you, everything runs its cycles. Um, I'm, I'm, at the, I'm at the beginning of a new cycle in my life and my career. Uh, I've gone around the block twice. I did it once with my sculpture. Then I came back in with, with my painting. I had a built-in market for my paintings. And now I'm at a point now to where uh, I've reached that another level where I'm, at, I'm getting at, at 70 from a collector point of view. I've, I've got at least another five years to where I can probably uh, still create a lot of excitement with my new work. But after that, I have to, I have to present myself in, a, in another way. And uh, because it's a difference, there's, it's not that people are just buying something because they like it. They're also buying it because they have permission to buy it. Having permission to buy it means that they can store their money in it, and there's a chance they can get their money out of it if they have to. You see, I really love this, but before I'm going to spend that money, see, I told you about my friend Howard Turpening. If I would have bought a painting of his for a million or a million and a half, it would have been it would have been actually a decent investment. It would have been one of the cheapest paintings I, got, I could buy because I can pick up the phone and sell it for the same amount today. You see, it's ironic, isn't it? I mean, obviously, there's never any guarantee, but you have to forget the money thing for a second. You have to put yourself in a situation where the value is based on a certain level. So that brings us back to, to Mark Rothkow. It's the same thing. Mark Rothkow, $20 million, uh, that's nothing because your money is just being stored. It's, a, it's, it's always your, still your money. But now if you're going to buy a painting, a, a great painting where an artist is coming up, one of my favorite young artists today is uh, Jeremy Lipking. And he's, his prices are starting to go up, but he's still way better than where his prices are. He's unbelievable. His paintings are unreal. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah, unreal. yeah, 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 yeah. And he's, he's still a young guy. He's in his early 40s. And, and uh, um, but, you know, it's, it's it's still it's is it yeah. is it is 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 it a safe if he, if his prices go up too quick then people may using that expression permission to buy they may not have permission to buy they may hold back uh, I had a I, I was at a show and uh, I won't say the name of the artist but where there's there's two artists in the show one was getting one hundred twenty five thousand for his painting the other was getting uh, forty thousand for his painting and they were asking me about uh, which was the best a uh, buy. And I says, without a doubt, the 125. I, well, how come? 
because the guy that was getting the 40 is 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 still coming up and he, uh the guy with the 125 has actually been there for a while mm-hmm. and his auction prices he's had a few two hundred thousand dollar two hundred fifty thousand dollar auction prices so wow. if you're looking at it from a perspective of being able to bring something home to where you psychologically really haven't spent your money. In other words, you haven't spent the money. The money wasn't a CD earning you nothing. Mm-hmm. Now you've got it hanging on your wall. You know, it's like that 63 Corvette that you just bought and you put it in your garage for 125,000. There's always worth the money's still there. That's I guess that's my point. When you're talking about marketing and art, if you can present yourself in a way where the money is still there, you your prices are going to go up. I want to. I want to. Bri- okay, there's two directions I want to go here, and, and we'll we'll just we'll address one at a time because and I'm glad that you brought this in. And again, you know, from my perspective and the perspective of many people listening to this podcast, my my concern and my interest is is predominantly with people that are uh, coming up in the art world, just wanting to make a start, just want to kind of leap out onto the stage, whether they're older and they've had a career in a past life and now they yeah. want to be an artist in this new chapter, or they're young and up and coming and they want to leap out onto the stage as a younger person and making a go as a creative professional. That's one direction I want to go in. But the other thing, I, I, I feel compelled to ask you this, John, right now, because we're living right now through something which, and I listen to a lot of alternative media. I don't, I'm not listening to mainstream media at all. One of my favorite shows is called The Richie Allen Show. Uh, he's a broadcaster out of Manchester in the United Kingdom. And he doesn't get a platform, uh, you know, and he, but he offers a platform to really extraordinary people. And one of them is a guy named Gerald Salente, who's uh, got this publication called Trends, Trends Journal, which talks about the economy. Now, Gerald Salente was talking about what's coming down the line for us economically. And he said that this, what we're about to experience around the world is not just the Great Depression. This will be called the Greatest Depression. And when Mm. I listen to that, it sends chills down my spine for a couple of reasons. Mm. I know Mm. that this is going to hurt an awful lot of people. And I know that there's a few things that we know in the past where we can see from from past, you know, whether we're talking about the Great Depression, the crash of the 80s, you know, the Mm -hmm. real estate market collapsing in 2008, Mm -hmm. these various blips on the economic landscape. What we notice is that art, jewelry, luxury cars, boats, uh, everything Mm -hmm. takes a hit, takes a massive hit. However, Mm -hmm. there are still opportunities out there. So some people completely lose their career lose their vision, lose their direction and drive, mm-hmm. and it yeah. just wipes them out and kills them. But there are right. others that are producing still during that time and are absolutely killing it. You know, because at well, the end, during yeah. some of these times, there are still some individuals with money. So let, let me ask right, you that right, first. Right, let me ask right, you that first, because right, what we're about right. to witness, I feel, is going to be a doozy. We've known that it's going to be coming for a while. And so when we look at this thing that's coming through, I'm thinking, okay, as an artist, what do you do? How do you pivot? How do you make sure that you're still relevant? You're still able to market yourself? Maybe when the market's changed or maybe the market that you were tapping into has disappeared. Where do you go? Mm -hmm. Well, to begin with, um, technology, okay? Technology is is, uh, where where, where wealth is going to come from. 
we've moved past the old industrial stuff. Now we're into technology. Uh, you got characters like uh, Elon Musk, you know, and and uh, Branson, those guys. Uh, you have, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical companies. You have things like that. Um, the fact that there's going to be a, a a doozy of a of a depression, um, it doesn't fit in that context. Um, I think I think the um, I think technology uh, shares in the wealth. Uh, I, I don't think that any models that we've used from the past, you know, like 1929 was a particular model and it did have to do with, uh, the, you know, the, the 20s and the, in the ups and the and the way that the stock market dealt with and and all the things that came before it, World War One and had to do with the Versailles Treaty in Germany and and all these things, you know, all the, this, this, this compression of really weird shit that um, that was just ready, a, this, a super bubble, of course. Uh, and then you had uh, you then you had World War II, uh, coupled with the depre the uh, the depression as the economy started to build. And what happened was, is all these companies that been been building airplanes or building refrigerators, and that's when I was born, and that's where I came out of. So I was still a baby of the industrial revolution, but now we're in this other this other phase. And uh, I think prosperity may look different. I think that uh, when you're talking about depression or whatever, you're talking about people that are going to that are suffering. I think there's I think there's less suffering. Uh, there's uh, the technology um, that just the way human nature exists. Uh, there, su suffering is something that doesn't doesn't work well in this kind of environment. There's that wonderful expression about the jungle being neutral. It'll feed you or kill you with total indifference, all right? It's up to uh, up to human ingenuity. Once you land in the jungle, you can feed yourself or you can get eaten by a lion. I mean, it's up to you, all right? The opportunities now are such to where there's never been greater opportunities. So the psychology of the mind, I, I was listening to your first po podcast and you were talking about uh, Jordan Peterson as an example. Um, Jordan Peterson, is is a is a very particular clear thinker, who uh, I, irony of ironies just happens to make sense. All right, it's almost non-political, uh, and it just talks about what who we are, what we are, and how we make our decisions. So for someone to prophesize, you know, that oh the economy is going to be really suck, you know, well it, it, it depends on how you look at that. Um, I happen to like especially coming from where I came from. I came from uh, uh, some dumb kid with dyslexia who didn't know shit in school, you know, to actually becoming an entrepreneur and making something out of myself. So I like the idea of, of indiv individualism. You know, I've always had a conservative bent. I don't like a lot of government. Uh, that's just in my nature. But I also know that I don't, make the, I don't make the rules of the game. What you do is you embrace the rules of the game, and then you, then you find out, what energy you have left because you didn't use all your energy, you know, you know the old jousting at, at windmills theory. You're actually can do something about it, and you and you and you survive and you do well within it. Uh, not everybody that wants to get into the art world is going to be able to get uh, the high the prices that that I get for my work. Uh, it, that that's another story. They can though if they choose to. But it means that they're going to have to look at it from a different perspective. 
Uh, I don't need a lot of collectors. Um, I was I was going to a show one year and I was looking uh, down the aisles of the of the airplane and I realized that if uh, if if we crashed, not only would I die, but all my collectors that are, that I made my living on are going to die the same moment I'm going to die. You know, there was about 50 of them on the plane, and that's all I needed to to, to make a really good living. I mean, I mean, you know, it's you know, it, you know, my friend Howard Turpling, over a million dollars for a painting. How many collectors does he need, really? You know, and of course now he's 93 years old. He just needs one. <laughs> See, it's all relative, you know. It depends on what you choose to do. Now, I, I, I obviously I know really some really good artists who are not ambitious. They, they're, they're if they sold vacuum cleaners, they weren't, they wouldn't be number one in the in the state. They're just they're they're happy with with, you know, they're happy. They do they do things on a different level. I have a, a friend uh, uh, Scott Burdick. You know, you familiar with Scott's work? Yeah, yeah, Scott is one of those people who's a killer, great artist. His wife is wonderful, Susan Lyons, but they're wonderful artists. They have a different tack. Um, they, they, they just they live in 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 the in the cocoon of 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 loving art, and the money they need seems to just come to them, but yet they don't fuss over it. You know, I uh, uh, I happen to notice the difference because we we do a, we do the pre to west together. You know, the, the same show. And I notice that I'm the guy who actually has energy involved in, and, I, and I have a stake in whether my work is going to sell or not. He seems to be so relaxed and kicked back because that's not his game he's playing. And see, for me, it's a game. I have two games. I want to do, the, I want to do really good work. I want my peers to respect my work. And on top of that, I've thrown a little fly in the ointment. The fly in the ointment is, is, is that I also want to do well in business. And that creates angst. So I know I know that I have artists that resent the fact that I do well, because they're you know there's it's all relative. There's artists that are better than me that aren't making what I'm making, right? I mean that's uh, that's always going to be a true statement, no matter how where you're at. The best of the best. There's always somebody better than you. And guess what? Is he making the dollars that you're making? That has is almost irrelevant because what is good enough is just good enough. And you can take it to another point. It just, it just turns out that I just happen to have a collector base that's used to creating, that's, that, that, that they, their houses are more expensive, their businesses are more expensive, money means more to them, maybe. And, and of course, this is the other irony, is that I learned about these people, and it turns out that they're the most non-greedy people I've ever met. Most of these people, their whole point in life is how to give their money away. And, and to, that's a spill a whole nother thing too. So it, that's also exciting to me to be a part of that. It's interesting. I, I, I love hearing your perspective on this as well, because I, I seem to be, when, I, when I'm listening to alternative media in particular and a lot of conspiracy theory stuff, uh, when I'm listening to this stuff, I, I tend to occupy both this kind of 
uh, fear and anguish, but at the same time, I'm always looking for the opportunity. So I know like that things are going to change here. Things are going to be a little bit different, maybe get a little bit squirrely, maybe, maybe not. We're in for doozy. I don't know. But I, when I look at this, I go, okay, well, the one constant that we had can see is that there's change, but I do know from the past that there's always an opportunity. I mean, people do well in all kinds of different sure, situations. Sure, sure. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's fascinating what you, what you're saying there. And I, it's it's interesting, isn't it, seeing all of the different games that, and the different modalities that artists sure. are occupying. I mean, there's more yeah. than one way to yeah. do it. I, I think, you know, back to what we were talking about right at the very start, it's almost like we need those hundred different words for art, like the Inuit have a hundred different wait, words wait, wait, for wait. snow. Yes, exactly. So you're an artist. You know, I go, yeah, I'm an artist. And, and I know they don't know what the hell that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't have a clue what that means. Yeah. And... And then, you know, then, if, then you go down the road of explaining what you're doing. And then before you get to the end of your explanation, you've, you've diminished what you do to the point where you just almost are ashamed to even go any further with it. Because, you know, it, it's, 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 it's indescribable. I have another story that I got to tell you because it's, it's, it, it fits both categories. Um, my, literally my second or third year out as an artist, I got a call, uh, and again, the business man in me said, that, "Get yourself an 800 number, and have a credit card." You know, this is er this is early on. This is 26, 27 years ago, um, and uh, I got a call from Chicago. This guy says, "A friend of a friend said that I should collect your work." FedEx me some photos. It, uh, there was no email, nothing like that. You know, digital stuff hadn't wasn't really there yet. And uh, so I FedExed him the work. I, I'd, only, I'd only done three sculptures up to that point. He calls me back. He says, I'm going to be in your area. I'd like to swing by your studio. My studio was a big steel building. It was pretty funky. So I says, well, I, why don't you come by my house? So I brought him by my house instead. We talked. He looked at what I had. I like it. I'm, got, I'm, I'm okay. Shake my hand. We're off. We go. And he goes, by the way, he said, I was, just came from the Mayo Clinic. There was a doctor down there that I attribute to saving my life. I'd like to buy him a gift. This sculpture that I just bought from you, this one here, if you got another one, I'd like to buy it for him as a gift. I thought, wow, this is really great. So here I here I, I sold three sculptures, then another one in the, in the moment. Of, you know, okay, so there's four. We're walking out the door, and he turns around again. And he says, you know, he said, um, I have a friend who uh, collects another artist, and he really enjoys the process. He says, I would like to do that too. He says, "What do you think if you uh, it, would it be okay if you saved me number one from now on, and I will buy number one of everything you do? Would you would you do that?" Okay. Now this is the fun part about this story was we just shook, shook hands and I took it for whatever it was, but this has been all those years ago. He now owns he owns number one of everything I've ever done. Okay. He's got number one of every sculpture I've ever made in my life. Okay, now someone wants to know how to make it as an artist. That that's what you call luck. Okay, that was a fluke. Okay, you can't reproduce that, but it was it, it created such a great story within the confines of who I am and what I do, and of course this man of course has become more than a a, a family member to me. You know, he, ironically though, uh, I was afraid to talk to him for about five years because I was afraid. I was afraid there'd be something I'd say that he wouldn't like. I thought, this is too good. It, it just scared me. 
And but once I and once we got on that roll, we became very close. And and then what happens is is that was con that connection helped me connect with other people. And then you then you you start realizing this whole thing about it's not and it's just not about the air. See, and that's the, the other part about this is is that you know who he collected before he collected me? Nobody. I was the only artist that he collected. You know who he collects now? Nobody. Um, He's got a big place in, in uh, with the exception of he has a he has a big house in Mexico on the on the coast, calls the palace, and he decided it would be fun to trade art for stays at his, his place on in Mexico, and so now he has a collection of art, but he hasn't paid for any of them. He's traded stays, and that's his game he plays. So he's got Morgan Weasling, he's got you know all the you know he's got he's got all these these great artists, but they've all you know. And that's how he does it. So for him, my point is, is that it's not about the art, it's about the collecting. And it's about the relationship of the artist. He values me as a person. He likes it that I'm an artist, but when we talk art, that's not his world. You know, we talk really as much about his world as we talk about my world. And when I talk about myself, it's really more as a friend, because I know that his interest is not, you know, he's not one of these, he, a lot of people that, do, that start off as an artist, they assume that the collector wants to get a little part of the, of what is going on in the artist's head and all that. And it, as it turns out, a lot of them don't. Matter of fact, most of them don't. And most of them are not concerned about that. They just want to know that you care about what you do, you, that you work hard, <laughs> you know, that, that you're a real, you know, that you have good morals, you're a good friend, you're going to do what you say you're going to do, and, uh, and, and, and uh, they, they like the work, and why you, why you create it and all your other stuff, it, it, it's amazing how they don't seem to be, at least in my experience, that doesn't seem to be the deal. I have so enjoyed this conversation. It has been fantastic hearing more about your story, about your art, about your philosophy. I feel like we could talk for days. Uh, we barely even scratched the surface here. So one day, hopefully one day soon, please come back on the show. I'd love to talk to you again because we haven't even gotten into the technical aspect of how you create your amazing work. And I'd love to hear all about that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Love to tell you. Awesome. Yeah. It might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been a real yeah. treat. Thank you so much for being on The Creative Endeavor. Yeah, you bet. It was fun. Thanks. Well, I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of The Creative Endeavor as much as I've enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. And a huge thank you to John Coleman for joining me. You can find John Coleman's art on Instagram at John Coleman Art, all one word, all lowercase, and on his website, www.colemanstudios.com. Make sure you check out his amazing work there. And if you enjoyed this conversation, then please leave me a rating or a review on whatever audio platform you're listening on. It makes a huge difference to me and to this show and helps it get out there to more and more people. And I really want to thank you for taking the time to do that. Now, as always, you can find me on my website at andrewtischler.com. While you're there, make sure you're subscribed. That's absolutely free to do. And I'm in touch with my subscribers regularly with YouTube tutorials 24 hours before they go live on YouTube, as well as special deals when I release my full instructional oil painting demonstrations. 
I look forward to being with you again very, very soon in another episode of The Creative Endeavor. Thank you.